Welcome to Tilly's Trans Tuesdays. This week, we're discussing something you're perfectly aware of because you are a human who was a child that grew up in this society. And if you've ever set foot in a clothing or toy store, it couldn't be more obvious. Gendered childhood. Hi, I'm Tilly Bridges, your host, and I'm joined by my writing partner, my best friend, my wife, our token cis representation, the Bert to my Ernie, Susan Bridges. That is accurate. It is. Yes. Yeah. Hello. Hello. I am Bert. Yeah, you very much are. <laughs> our guest this week is Aoife Baker. They write sci-fi and fantasy scripts about found families tackling unjust systems, how grief unites all of us, and how more ladies should be serial killers. They came to L.A. as a costume designer and fell in love with the structure of screenplays, then five years ago started writing with Greg Macklin. Together they won an inevitable fellowship for disabled writers staffed on a small kid's show and got a lovely manager. Their most popular script is a high fantasy in a non-Eurocentric world based on tarot cards that deals with prison abolition and how hot girl assassins are. Welcome, Aoife. Thanks. Okay, so that tarot card lady assassin show sounds right up my alley. And my question to you is, why have I not read this yet? I don't know. You need to send that we can, over. We can correct that. Yes, I need it immediately. I mean, yeah. we too have written about assassins. We have. Yeah. We have that shared interest of lady assassins. Yes. I try and get at it. Like, we'll be writing something about, you know, the stock market. And I'm like, you know what this scene could use? A couple yep. of hot lady assassins. Absolutely. You can't have too many, right? Also, the stock market so. in general would be better with more assassins. I think that would fix yeah. a lot of the problems it currently has. You're not wrong. Yeah. So so I want to ask you, because there's not a whole lot of us out there, but what is it like for you having a writing partner? I mean, I love it. I knew yeah. for a long time that I wanted slash needed a writing partner. My upbringing for writing was a little bit odd because my family has a lot of novelists in it oh cool and so from a young age there was kind of this understanding that at some point i would write a book i just had to figure out what my book was sure and so over the years i tried writing and and writing a novel by yourself is a very isolating weird feeling where like, you just sort of hear the echoes inside your own head and start yeah in all your own thoughts and and it's terrible <laughs> and with adhd getting things done without a body double or somebody else for accountability is really hard. So I realized, I don't know, like 15 years ago that writing with a writing partner was going to be a much better idea for me Sure, to do it in a collaborative way. And then when I fell into screenwriting, realizing that like it's a lot more accepted in screenwriting to write with a partner than yeah. it is in the world of novel publishing, there's a lot more partners in tv which is a little bit weird because like you split the we're not treated as separate entities in tv right. the way that you are in books and, and yeah it's, 
it's a whole odd thing. But so I had written with another writing partner before. Greg had written with another writing partner before. And we were in a just a casual group of writers after doing a project together that he had written and I had costumed. And he wasn't sure what he was going to write next after his current pilot. And we were walking along and I just sort of half pitched a couple of things that I had been wanting to write one of which also involved assassins because the brand is strong. That's right. <laughs> Talking about doing like a 1930s Hollywood thing and having different studios hire assassins to take out each other's top talent and then have fake actors that. and stuff. And he was like, could I write that with you? And I was like, I would love that. Yes. And so we started writing together and it's been five years and we've never looked back. Every project, like we have several projects planned next we yeah. agree about so many things. We didn't really have to do any work whatsoever to meld our voices on the page. We only have like a couple of little tells that we sometimes sure. have to sand over. But for the most part, like it naturally compromised very easily. That's great. Yeah. And you know what? The thing that I found with Susan and me writing together is that we complement each other really well. Like she's really strong at the things that I'm a little weaker at and vice versa. So Together, we're almost like one whole writer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we definitely, you are the one who always has faith in it yeah. from day one, and I never do. Yeah. But I'm the one that picks through all the pieces of it. That's that's the thing you usually say is, I'm the one who drives the bus over the cliff, and you're the one sorting through the wreckage at the bottom, trying to figure out what we need and don't. Yes. Yeah, so. That is kind of how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say we have similar, we have areas that we lean on each other in a really nice sure. way. So when we're starting a project, if we know there's gonna be action sequences, when it's time to start doing pages, I'll start with those. Cause I can fully visualize everything with the costuming background, like picturing stuff is just really easy. And yeah. that translates to tracking where people are in fights and yeah, what I'm really good at that used. Too. And you, Susan a little less so. You yeah. always forget where people are. Right. That's when I read what you've written and say, this doesn't make sense. I don't know where this person is. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And then Greg loves the like very emotional stuff where people really say exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. And so when we have to hit those strong emotional beats, I'll usually pass the laptop over to him and then we kind of pass it back and forth for the editing and do simultaneous editing and stuff. Yeah. That's cool. I love writing teams. I think we're awesome. Okay, so this is where I usually ask people about the best and worst things about transitioning for them. But I think you had a very different experience than most. And uh, I think we'll talk about that more during the rest of this episode. But I wanted to ask you now, do you feel like you had a transition or, or what has your gender journey been like? Yeah, it's so weird with non-binary because it's like you're not starting from A and going to Z. You're right. sort of figuring out where in the middle of the alphabet you are and certain days you're in a different place. So like gender fluid, definitely I vibe with that because I have kind of waxing and waning and phases sure. and whatnot. But I did definitely have several distinct phases that I'd say similarly map out to some transitional phases. I had a pretty distinct egg phase where I was sitting around talking with all of my other bisexual queer pals and being like man if we were like 15 years younger we would all be non-binary now because you know gender is so stupid and like everybody in the room being like yeah I've never felt like gender really applies to me I've never super felt 
committed to being a woman, except in the terms of like women's lib and fighting for rights sure. and things. But like, I'm not hoorah lady about it. And and all of us just being like, yeah, you know, if we were 15 on TikTok, we would totally be non-binary right now. And then realizing later, oh, oh, right. Oh, no, yeah. I, you can do that at any yeah. age. Right. Okay. And I did always feel like that. Yep. I was the last to know. Yeah. We always are, right? Usually. So. And then partway through the pandemic, I had like a more distinct shift in how I wanted to present myself gender wise, where I did get extremely dysphoric for a while in like dresses and heels and things that had previously made me really happy, suddenly made me very uncomfortable. So I had yeah. to do a big sort of closet clean out, get rid of the things that made me feel tense and anxious and replace them with suits and jumpsuits that make me feel fabulous and wonderful. And you look great in them, if I may Thank say. You. So. Okay, well, before we dive in, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you afterward? I'm pretty easy. I'm Vivacious Vandal on just about everything. And it's a great been... handle, by the way. Thank you. I mean, I've had it for <laughs> close to 20 years now. And obviously, when I first got it, I did a lot more street art and tagging and whatnot. So it was more appropriate. Sure. But it still gives a sense of the vibe. It does. Okay, so when I talk about gendered childhoods, I am, of course, talking about the ways in which kids, both now and when we were kids ourselves, have every single facet of our society shouting at us that you are a boy or you are a girl and boys do X and girls do Y. And you're more aware of it than you know. The most obvious that still affects us as adults are gendered bathrooms. Girls go here and boys go there and you do not cross that line into the bathroom you're not allowed in. It's one of the first things you learn. I remember once in grade school, I was walking back from the bathroom and I was the only one in the hall and I brought one of those small rubber ultra bouncy balls to play with at recess and I was bouncing into the hall as I went back to class. And you see where this is going, right? It bounced into the girls bathroom and I froze. I was terrified. What do I do? There aren't any girls around I could ask to go get it for me and I couldn't find a teacher to ask because then I'd get in trouble for bouncing the ball in the hallway. So eventually I sprinted in and I found the ball and I sprinted back out and I remember feeling terrified that I'd be punished, but also some weird thrill because I always wanted to know what it looked like in there because, spoiler, I was always a girl and that's where I should have been going. I can't tell you how old I was at the time. I suspect pretty young, but I don't know. I have no other memories surrounding that moment for reasons I talked about in the Trans Tuesdays on trans grief and how disassociation from dysphoria has made most of my pre-transition life a blank. Those were episodes 48 and 49 of this podcast. Anyway, I don't know what would have happened if I'd been caught, but in my overly active imagination writer mind, I was sure I'd be expelled and grounded until I was 20. And of course, that's not what would have happened, but my imagination didn't come up with that out of nowhere. It was seeded by how incredibly important it was made to me that you only use the bathroom you were told to, were supposed to go to, into the boys' bathroom, you boy. It was very confusing. So, Eva, I wanted to ask you, what was your childhood like? Because we talked a little bit before, and you've had, I think, a very different upbringing than a lot of us did in, in terms of gender. And I wanted to ask if that made approaching bathrooms, you know, as a kid, weird or difficult for you. Yeah, I started from kind of more of a middle point. Yeah. Specifically because my mother, I think, wanted a tomboy. She oh, had very okay. specific memories of being a child and 
being much more masculine than her sister. She's one of six and being not allowed the toys that she wanted. So like she wanted yeah. a dump truck and wasn't allowed to have a dump truck. And so when I was a toddler, she got me this big yellow dump truck and she was so excited for me to get to play with it because she never got to. And I never touched that dump truck. <laughs> she <laughs> finally gave it to somebody else. She was staunchly anti me having a Barbie. She was like super duper feminist about it where she just thought that they were everything that was wrong. And and so she flatly refused until she walked in to my bedroom one day and I was playing with like a ratty face cloth, probably looking like, you know, a child from a horror movie, like in the corner with my little rag. <laughs> and she comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm playing Barbie. And she was like, oh, okay. All right. The kid can have, can have a Barbie. But she still couldn't bring herself to do it. So she told my uncle when my birthday was coming up to go into Toys R Us, which still existed, and yeah. get me a Barbie. But that it had to be Dr. Barbie. If she was going to compromise okay. her morals, it still had to be a feminist Barbie. Sure. And this poor man went into the two hot pink aisles of Toys R Us that are so specifically girl-coded, no boys yeah. allowed, and walked up and down them looking, and there was no Dr. Barbie. He didn't know that that was like a limited time thing. Sure. He lost his mind a little bit. I'm sure there was a fugue state of just pink hallucinations. And this was also before cell phones, so he couldn't call and check if this right. would be okay. But he grabbed uh, Astronaut Barbie Okay. And came home to my mother and was like, is this okay? And I was like, yes. So that was my first Barbie, was astronaut Barbie with the fabulous silver moon boots and a little mesh bag for her moon rocks. And as a big Star Trek nerd, like that was the way to go. That was the correct yeah. Barbie. But yeah, so I was raised a little bit more masculine from the beginning. Sure. And And was allowed to play a bit more with my gender than is the typical childhood experience. Yeah. So did that make like going to the bathroom at school weird for you or did you always feel okay? I mean, I have some specific memories in childhood from when I had to use the gender neutral bathroom because I had Lyme disease and was on crutches and in a wheelchair. And like that was the only one I could physically use. And sure. that wasn't great because I was definitely getting teased about that. And when you're forced to use the bathroom that's like mostly for grownups, it's like you're weird. So I yeah. think when that's the only option for a gender neutral bathroom and there's a kid that doesn't feel comfortable in either, that's not great. It's it's not yeah. a good starting point. I've always felt like women's bathrooms are a weird liminal space where like there's a performed femininity that happens in them. That's really weird sure. to me. I would probably enjoy men's bathrooms more if they would aim better. And they do and not. They didn't smell terrible all the time. They do. But I. I am pretty comfortable, like, if, if I'm at a club and the line for the ladies is long and there's no line for the guys, I'll, I'll just go in there and be like, well, here we go. Yeah, I don't think I could bring myself to do that anymore after being forced into the, the guy's bathroom my whole life. That's, the, like, the last place I want to go back to, so. It's not a very nice place. It's not, though. No. It's, it's not a cool clubhouse with a tree. It's, it's terrible, it's, actually. It's a very yeah. gross smelling place. Yeah. When I first learned what urinal cakes were, I was like, this oh, yeah. is not a thing that should exist. We should be beyond this as a society by now. Yeah. 
Well, everyone listening to this knows of the blue is for boys and pink is for girls nonsense that our society flings around, and it is nonsense, and it is, of course, part of the false dichotomy. See episode 11 of this show for more info. But spoiler alert, the colors used to be reversed. Pink was for boys and blue was for girls, and it was for just exactly a sexist reason. There's an article in the show notes about it, but here's a quote. A June 1918 article from the trade publication Earnshaw's Infants Department said, The generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. The reason is that pink, being a more decided and stronger color, is more suitable for the boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. The article also says, Kids of all genders used to wear white dresses until they were six or seven, but it calls seeing a boy in one of them quote-unquote unsettling. That article is from 2011, good lord. Who am I kidding? It could have been written today and someone might have said the same thing. I mean, even though it was for a practicality reason. Yeah. Diapers. <laughs> right. They are to change. They really are. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, not being allowed to like pink also very much contributed to my own gender dysphoria was part of why I felt so broken. It's the societal false dichotomy that's broken, not trans people, but you certainly feel like the problem must be you because society said so. I discussed not being allowed to like pink by my mother, a color. My mother wouldn't let me like a color when I was a kid because it was for girls only, and that was in the Trans Tuesday on unexpected bonuses of transition, like getting to embrace the color you always loved but weren't allowed to like. You can find that at TillysTransTuesdays.com. I mean, we also had that experience ourselves yes with our son yeah so like we went to the zoo with my parents yes and our kid wanted a pink cup that's and right my parents freaked out we got him the pink cup though i'm like it's a cup right yep he can have whatever color cup he wants yeah why are you being so weird about it up well we know why but yeah, it's... It's also, like, really annoying that, like, psychologically they talk about kids being, like, five or six. And they're like, this is when children become very aware of their gender. And it's like, because everyone tells them to do that. Yeah, like, nonstop. Yeah. This isn't just out of nowhere. No, society is salty with it as a kid. Yeah. My God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eva, I, I wanted to ask you as a costume designer... We had something to say about the other things. Do you have another thing to say first? I mean, I think we're probably about to say the same thing. So, yeah, yeah, for costume design, I had to study fashion history. Sure. And what you're saying about the color reversal is completely true. So before the 1900s, pink was still considered light red, which it is. It's it's just pale sure. red. Sure. And red was the masculine color for virility and strength. Blue was considered for women because it was very calm and it was also very strongly associated with the Virgin Mary. So in all uh, of the Christian yeah. countries, yep. like we sense. still paint her in blue pretty exclusively. And yeah. so a woman being in blue was this virginal, pure thing, similar to how we later made whiting dresses white for that same yeah. concept of purity in our lovely purity culture, which is a whole separate issue that's just as messed up. You're not wrong. <laughs> But so it was it was World War Two, unfortunately, that caused the swap. And, you know, it's it's great when people are like, oh, yeah, pink is definitely for girls. And and if you are a boy who likes pink, it's because you're a sissy. You can be like, well, that's what Hitler's opinion was. And I don't like most of his opinions. So I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you. Yeah. Pink was used is for... that where it came from? Yep. Wow. It was used for marking the queers in the camps. 
That's right. That's also where the upside down triangle comes from as a sign for queer identity. Right. So yeah, Hitler had bad opinions. And I feel pretty good about disagreeing with anything that he thought was right. We take the bold stance on this show that Hitler was wrong and very bad. Yeah. So, and that shouldn't and, be a thing you have to say, but in this day and age, yeah, I know. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. here we are. There, there are a few people who have more wrong opinions than him. Yeah. Even even his mustache. Terrible choices. He, yeah. It was really bad. Yeah. Just not good yeah. at all. Awful across the board. Have you run into issues costuming where cis men like don't want to wear pink or or specifically you know complain about their costumes or ask you to not put them in pink or anything like that yes but also i think a lot of people have super specific ideas of what colors look good on them sure i had an actor once tell me he didn't want to wear maroon because it looked too collegiate and i was like that is one of the more insane things i've ever heard because <laughs> it's, it's it's maroon it's not yeah. i mean there are Some a couple colleges, colleges use that, that use color. it but not but all they also of them. use yellow and gold and navy yeah. and purple. So just, yeah, people have their associations. I won't ask anybody to wear a color that they're really uncomfortable with because my goal with costuming is to, you know, create the character and formulate the backstory and fill in all of the gaps for the audience. But then I also want to make sure that my actors are really comfortable so that when it comes time for the cameras to roll, they forget that they've ever met me. They forget that they're wearing a costume and then they can just focus on their lines and their performance and the things that are going to come through on the screen. Yeah. So if somebody says they don't want to wear pink, they may be wrong and silly, but I'm also not going to force them into pink. Sure. And I've never run into a gal who didn't want to wear blue. Yeah, that's well, that seems a much more acceptable thing in society, right? But it's okay for, for women to want masculine things, but for men to want feminine things, you know, and not, I'm not saying those things are masculine or feminine, but, you know, society says they are. And if you want those things, you know, femininity is bad. You're yes. not supposed to want it or, you know, celebrate it or what have you. So, well, because it's depressing. being a man means being smart and good at that's what you right. do and great and valuable in society. So if you, seem to be doing things like you are attempting to be closer to being a man well that's great that's commendable but if you're doing things where it seems like you're trying to be less of a man well that's bad and we have to stop that right now exactly automatically suspicious because why would you want that why would anyone want that yeah well as Aoife mentioned before you can think about toy stores even though most don't exist anymore sadly but or you know even toy sections in department stores like Target and you can instantly tell how horrifically gendered everything is right although i mean i saw Target was like we don't do that anymore they, but they it do kind of does they absolutely do because yeah. the quote unquote boy section has cars and action figures in black and blue and chrome and the quote unquote girl section is searing neon pink and dolls and dolls and more dolls and why is it girls get dolls and boys don't because having a doll is, you know, ostensibly teaches a girl how to be a mother. And honestly, how is our entire society not fed up with the level of sexism that permeates all of it? I don't even know where we begin to change it, but that can't happen until everyone sees it. And I know that this crap affects cis people, too, because even as a kid, I knew cis girls who didn't want to play with dolls or Barbies or wear dresses. And they got called tomboys because wanting to be like a boy was admirable and understandable. Who wouldn't? 
But a boy who didn't want to play with cars or RV men and maybe wanted to wear dresses got called a fairy and another much more hurtful F-word that you couldn't pay me a million dollars to repeat here. Because wanting to be like a girl was shameful and wrong. And if you think, that doesn't all compound upon a young trans girl who feels broken that the world is telling her she's every single thing that she's not and contributes to gender dysphoria in a massive way, I think you haven't been paying attention. But I actually did want to play with cars and action figures, but I also wanted to play with Barbies and wear dresses and hang out with girls much, much more than boys. And I can feel, even now, deep in my heart, my chest is tight remembering how broken and alone that made me feel every damn day of my life. But this isn't just about me or about trans girls or about kids of any gender. It's about all kids. And if you want to see at least a little of what that did to me, and it turns out also happened to a whole lot of other trans people, See the Trans Tuesday on Searching for Meaning When You're Trans and Don't Know It, episode 16 of this podcast. And I think, you know, it's, you're right. It affects all cis girls, too, because sure. there's just these expectations. I mean, me and my sister were very, very different. Yeah. She loved dolls. I hated dolls. Yeah. I didn't want a doll. And so, like, many times, like, for holidays, we both get the same thing. Like, and I... This is one of the things that has damaged me from youth, which is just, I never got a gift I wanted. Like, I can't remember a time that I got something that they didn't think I should have. Right. Or I needed to have. Yeah. Or you're a young lady and you should have a pearl necklace. Like, when am you'll I going to wear it? into it. You don't want it today, but you'll want it at some point. Sure. So Once you change everything about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. So... <laughs> Well, Eva, I wanted to ask you, having a less gender-restrictive childhood, I think, than a lot of us, did you notice that that was different from other kids you knew? Or did you think it was strange that you were allowed to maybe explore things that they weren't? I mean, I definitely noticed it was a little bit weird. And I noticed that other people definitely fought my mom on it. Like, at one point, sure, I, I, was, could see that. I was given by an extended family member the girl Legos, Lego Friends. Oh, yeah. Which I think they've probably improved them by now. But at the time, I would hope. they were much worse than regular yeah. Legos. They were a lot harder to play with. They didn't have as many, like, separatable parts. So yeah. you couldn't, you didn't have as many options. Like, it was given a set where you could build a dollhouse out of it. And so what you ended up with was a dollhouse. Sure. And it was like, this is not, I want to make cars. That's yeah. the point of Legos. Where is my spaceship? Exactly. People outside of my immediate family were very confused by that and that my mother had given me sort of the space to pick and choose from both sides of the aisle was was very weird to my extended family and kids at school. Yeah. To be fair, I did also bring a desiccated dead bat to school. So, like, the kids were going to think I was weird either way. Yeah, but that's cool. I would have dug that. But, yeah, I can't think of ever knowing any kid that like had toys or a room or anything that I ever knew that did not fall into those strict gender binaries. There, I never knew anybody that had anything that was slightly quote unquote not for their gender, you know? I think one of my prized possessions I found on a beach on a vacation when I was like 10, it's a cat's jaw. Oh, I had one of those. Didn't it? I found one. I still have it. School it's ones. so cool. Yeah. Kids don't want gendered toys. Kids want dead animal bits. That's right. We want bones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just state now that there is nothing wrong with a cis girl who wants to play with cars and action figures and get dirty. And there is nothing wrong with a cis boy who wants to wear dresses and play with dolls and Barbies and have a tea party. 
Yet our society in general balks at the idea. Even the more accepted tomboy is treated like a quote-unquote phase that they'll grow out of and not them exploring who they really are. But now we're getting to the crux of it, right? Because our society is incredibly cisgender, heterosexual normative. Conservatives will rail and cry and scream about one gay kiss. Never mind there are hetero kisses and often a lot more sexual content in all of our media everywhere. And it is pushed on kids. And if you don't believe me, you clearly don't know many queer people. A perfect example is Hallmark Christmas movies. It doesn't matter what you think of them or if you don't watch them, they're a big thing during the holidays, right? And since 2001, Hallmark has made almost 300 Christmas romance movies. The first one to star two women and have a lesbian kiss was released in December of 2023. We watched it. It's called A Friends and Family Christmas. It was schmaltzy and saccharine like every other Hallmark Christmas movie. And you know what? Queer people deserve those too. It was full of plot holes and I loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was so funny about it because we were like, no, this is exactly a Hallmark Christmas. Right. It's just like all their others. They treated it not exactly the same. And that's great. Not worth. It's not better. It's the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. (laughs) It was refreshing that no part of the storyline of it was about like having to be accepted by your family. Yes, like, yes, absolutely. Families on both sides were just meddling to get their daughters together. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was it was great, and it all it took Hallmark until 2019 to make Hanukkah movies, and it took until 2018 until they had non-white leads, and then they still wouldn't allow interracial couples. Whiteness and Christianity are forced onto us by society, just like gender roles are. There's a link in the show notes to an article with more details on the slow, slow inclusion efforts in Hallmark holiday movies. And before you say, well, those aren't for kids, let me remind you that they are rated G. Like Disney animated movies, like all content aimed at kids. Hell, Disney has been making animated movies for kids since Snow White in 1937. How many starred a queer character? They're starting to slowly hint at our existence some 75 years later. Strange World had a gay boy as a main character, and that came out in 2022. Did he get to kiss his crush, though? You know he didn't. And it was, like, such a small part of the movie. Yeah. There were still outraged articles about it. It was, like, there was literally nothing. It just, they had a crush on another person. Yeah. Like, literally it. Yeah. And how many Disney movies have you seen where a cis guy and a cis gal smooch? Is it all of them? In The Little Mermaid, Ariel gets married when she is 16 years old. Yeah, that's not cool. Oh, my God. So, Aoife, I wanted to ask you, how has the compulsory cisgender heterosexualness of media been like? Do you remember the first time you even saw a character who was like you in any way? Oh, probably, but I'm a cheerleader. Okay. Okay. So I would have been like a like a young teen... And that was and a that rarity was, at the time, too. Yeah. That was refreshing. Although, actually, yeah. no, it must have been younger than that, because I watched Mavion Rose in high school, or maybe middle school. That was a while ago. And that's a, like, heartbreaking but beautiful and bittersweet and happy French film about a little trans girl trying to convince her family that, like, she knows she's a girl. Yeah. And so I saw that one pretty young. But again, because my mom was into foreign films and stuff, so sure. those were in our house. But yeah, it's compet is such a big thing that yep. I know lesbians talk about a lot, but I don't see cishet people really seeing it and talking yep. about it. Where 
you are really forced you're told by society from such a young age that if you want happiness which you you do you want happiness that you have to do things the right way and the right way is go to college get a high paying job get a boyfriend settle down get married I remember watching yep. a lot of rom-coms when I was a kid where women in their 30s were like, oh, my God, I'm so old. I'm in my 30s. And then, of course, they found love. Yeah. But there was this very specific like set of directions that we were all yeah. getting the same directions. And I feel terrible for people who followed the directions, did everything, quote unquote, right, and ended up being incredibly unhappy because that wasn't yeah. their true selves a lot of women who ended up married to men and realized way late in the game that they were never going to be attracted to their husbands because they were lesbians. Yeah. And yeah, just that compet is, it's compulsory. <laughs> it's it's it very is. compulsory. There's yeah. no escaping. No. And I think it's, it's just as hard for heterosexual people to see it as it is for cis people to see how compulsory being cis is. It's a really hard thing to wake up to because, you know, everything in society reinforces it. And so you don't realize that, like, if you don't stop and think about it, I think, and you're a cisgender heterosexual person, how many cishet kisses you see, like, just in Disney movies. It is all about cishet romance and getting together and loving and kissing, 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 and, like, all of them. Like, every princess movie that they've made, right? And it's like, I think you don't realize how much it is reinforced to you when it's what you want to see and how you feel, you know, it's a harder thing to wake up to. And I also think it's like feminine behavior is policed to such an extent. Oh yeah. All of these types of media and things. Cause like you were saying, Aoife, like women figure out, Oh, I'm not attracted to my husband because I'm gay. Yeah. And yet society also teaches women you're not supposed to have that much of a sex drive. You're not even supposed to right. really like it. So all yeah. of that is normal just to keep you from thinking about that. Yeah. And you're supposed to hate your body if you're a woman also. Yes. You're supposed right. to constantly be full of self-hatred so that they can sell you products. And so figuring out that you're trans can be really hard if you're like, oh, but everybody hates their body this much, right? Everybody feels this uncomfortable in their skin all the time. Yeah. That's what yeah. the media has told me is normal. Yeah. You are not wrong. Well, going back to Disney animated movies, you know they can't show gay or lesbian or bi or ace or non-binary or trans characters. Then kids might think they could be that too. They can't let boys and girls not conform to gender every second of their lives or they might find out they're not cisgender heterosexual. How unnatural. And my dudes, if you have to force gendering on kids' bathrooms, clothes, toys, media, behaviors, mannerisms, and preferences, just to maintain cisgender heterosexuality. What does that tell you about cisgender heterosexuality? Nothing that was the only quote-unquote real way to be would need every single facet of society to brainwash kids into thinking that's all they can be. If a cis girl or boy wants to play with things you think quote-unquote should be for their gender, great, let them. And if they want to play with things you think quote-unquote shouldn't be for their gender, great, let them. Kids need to explore, to imagine, to discover. The whole point of childhood is to learn. We spend the entire time figuring out who we are. And if that bothers you, get over yourself, please. When you force a kid into clothes they don't want, colors they don't want, toys they don't want, sports or activities or anything that's not what they want, you are harming them. 
trans and cis alike. You are messing them up in untold ways. And this isn't about making them eat a vegetable once in a while or clean up their room. Don't get it twisted. You know I'm not saying to cave to a kid's every whim. There's a difference and it's easily definable and to say otherwise is disingenuous. If you're in any way restricting a kid from exploring something just because it makes you uncomfortable, you're failing at being a parent. You're supposed to support them in what they want, not what you want. I've shared things I love with our kid and, you know, hoping that he would love them too. And some he does and some he doesn't. And that's okay. I'm not going to force him to pretend to like something he doesn't or pretend to be someone he's not. Why on earth would I? Why would anyone? Thanks for being here, Aoife. Thanks for having me. And I'd like to send a thank you to your mom, too, for being such a great parent and supporting you and finding out who you were and wanted to be. She was pretty great, yeah. And to the parents out there, please help kids be who they are and not who you want them to be. It's not about you. It's about their happiness and security and ability to know and love all the wild, wonderful, different ways a human can be. That's the job. Tilly Bridges and transmission. Tilly's Trans Tuesdays is hosted by Tilly Bridges and Susan Bridges with audio editing and sound mixing by Jillian Morgan. The Google Doc and social media versions of this week's topic and all past topics are available at Tilly'sTransTuesdays.com. Special thanks to Daisy and Jane for the use of Sorry Not Sorry as our show's theme music. Please stop by and show your support at daisyandjane.bandcamp.com and soundcloud.com slash daisyandjane. You can find me at Tilly Bridges on Blue Sky, Twitter, Spoutable, and Hive, on Mastodon at tillybridges at mastodon.social, at facebook.com slash tillysbridges, and on Insta and threads at heckyeahtillybridges. And you can find Susan on most of those at Susan L. Bridges. You can find Jillian at Audio Jillian on Blue Sky. You can join the Tillyverse Discord server by following the link at the very bottom of TillysTransTuesdays.com. We hold regular watch parties for the Matrix films and other trans movies where I do a live Q&A, and it's blossomed into a wonderfully supportive, compassionate, kind community of friends. We'd love to have you join us. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.